0: So Kina, you know it's become, it's really become a market moving meeting hasn't it the federal Reserve open market committee meeting and I think throughout the course of this year there's been varying degrees to which um, you know the markets have expected the Federal Reserve to start tightening monetary policy and increasing interest rates and uh, this meeting is no different with markets expecting uh, you know probably a twenty five basis point increase possibly even a 50 basis point increase um, in, in in interest rates in the us given that uh, the data can coming out of the U.S. more recently has been uh, significantly more robust in terms of uh, economic growth numbers, where we saw uh, economic growth for the third quarter was revised upwards, and that number came through late last month. Um, We've seen that the unemployment rate has uh, now become well-entrenched below 5%, coming in at 4.8% of its latest reading after the U.S. economy um, added about 178,000 jobs in in, in November. And, of course, uh, we're starting to see inflation heading in the right direction. And besides that, Sakina, um, I think that the central bank has to remain ahead of the curve with, uh, you know, oil prices starting to spike and uh, touching, uh, you know, nearing $60 a barrel with OPEC coming to an agreement with non-OPEC nations, and then um, also with the massive expensory fiscal package um, which uh, Donald Trump has promised to unleash within the U.S., um, you know, this is likely to push inflation very close to, if not touching, the uh, 2% long-term target of the Federal Reserve. so, you know, the confidence of all these factors means that uh, the Federal Reserve, you know, is, is starting to get to a point where they're going to need to increase interest rates, if for any other reason, just to maintain their credibility. Um, you know, because if we remember, a year ago they told us they're going to increase interest rates four times, and that hasn't obviously come through in 2016 with no interest rate increases so far. So, Sakina, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see an interest rate increase just for the sake of uh, Federal Reserve credibility. Uh, you know, I think the market are going to breathe a sigh of relief, quite frankly, once uh, interest rates start to go up because uh, there's more policy certainty in terms of the future direction of U.S. monetary policy and, uh, you know, more, less uncertainty and more certainty uh, means that markets... T- start pricing assets uh, appropriately. And we've already seen the adjustment in asset pricing thus far, Sakina. We saw uh, for the first time in a long time the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield uh, crossed two, 250 basis points at 2.5% uh, the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield that was yesterday. Uh, so we're starting to see fixed income assets starting to j- gradually price in a movement from the Federal Reserve. And uh, you know, I think capital allocation decisions will gradually start to normalize um, as interest rates within the U.S. Uh, start begin to normalise. and then Nadir, the performance of listed property relative to bonds in South Africa, how's that looking? You know, Sakina, for the longest period of time, um, listed property was the best performing asset class in South Africa. You know, I mean, if you looked at it over a rolling three-year period to the end of 2015, um, and certainly into the start of 2016 as well, you know, listed property continued to perform um, very strongly. What we've seen since then is that the asset class has started to falter a little bit, and we've actually seen some lackluster performance, you know, as the bond market has continued to do well, and we know that the bond market has uh, done well this year on the back of foreign foreign inflows into South Africa in search of yield given that the uh, Federal Reserve didn't increase interest rates. But, uh, you know, the listed property market didn't enjoy the same benefits. And I think the reason for that, Sakina, um, is twofold. You remember that uh, the listed properties is, is pretty much, um, you know, investors see it as a hybrid between a bond, a fixed income instrument, and an equity. And the reason for that is that uh, REITs, of course, by legislation have to pay out the majority of their net income after all expenses in the form of dividends. So, you know, that's really seen uh, akin to a, a coupon payment from a bond, but at the end of the day, uh, they do have a ca- an element of capital appreciation as well, given that uh, you know fundamentally the, the, the assets underlying um, these listed property companies is portfolios of, of, of properties, and those portfolios of properties become more and less valuable over time, dependent on uh, factors such as rental income and factors such as property prices, etc. So, sixty so I think um, the biggest issue was that listed property uh, had obviously become fairly expensive relative to bonds coming into this year uh, from a yield or an income perspective in that uh, you know the yield on listed property uh, was trading at quite a big significant or quite a significant discount um, to, the, to, to the coupon on, 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 on uh, medium and long term bonds. So from that perspective, a correction of that um, was probably warranted, and uh, you know that's what we've seen through the course of this year. Um, but then also, Sakina, um, it hasn't exactly been a very conducive environment in South Africa, um, and one would argue that a significant portion of listed property earnings come from outside of South Africa, about 38% of listed property earnings come from outside of South Africa. But, uh, you know, the same principle applies uh, with regards to global. Um, it hasn't exactly been a very conducive environment to see rapid increases um, in, in underlying property net asset values. You know, we've seen that the economy has been very sluggish, particularly in South Africa. Uh, We've seen a lot of concerns about where vacancy rates in these portfolios are going to go to, and that ultimately uh, affects uh, future cash flows and the the value of a property, because at the end of the day, a value of a property is just the discounted value of all future cash flows you can receive in rentals. Um, And then uh, the significant uh, offshore component of the listed property market has quite frankly been hurt uh, by a strong strengthening of the RAND, you know, where before the month of November uh, to the end of October, certainly the RAND had strengthened about 15% year-to-date, and uh, that number had come to about 10% year-to-date by the beginning of December. So the strengthening of the RAND hasn't helped, given that 38% of the earnings come from outside of South Africa. So I suppose, Sakina, those are the two factors which summarize the underperformance. I suppose on a forward-looking basis, then uh, you know, the question is, where to from here? And I think, uh, you know, you've got to dissect that into two uh, Possibilities. What's going to happen in the bond market? Because you know, if we see a significant bond market rise and yields re-rating quite quickly, uh, you know, the listed property market is obviously not going to be able to escape that. Um, but uh, you know, if we see the bond market faring okay and we see listed property, uh, you know, we see companies uh, starting to report uh, continued high occupancy rates, and uh, you know, we see a return to quality in, in from from the offshore sectors. Um, you know, listed property could actually present quite a quite a compelling opportunity given um, the extent to which it's sold off relative to to bonds. So I suppose what I'm saying, Sakina, is that if the bond market holds up okay, um, listed property could actually present quite an interesting investment for the time being. And of course, just very briefly, Nadir, um, looking at Europe through twenty seventeen, some of the political risk that they will be faced with. Yes, you know, Sakina. I mean, it's a big one. We've certainly seen political risk driving the markets in twenty sixteen. Um, you know, we've seen the events of Brexit being quite uh, austere. We've seen uh, uh, the, the, the election of Donald Trump uh, in the US, um, and you know, this rise of the right-wing nas- of right wing national right wing nationalism across the globe. And uh, you know, this has obviously raised uh, quite a quite a lot of concern as to um, whether the current status quo will prevail at and, uh, you know, how uncertain um, the global economy is going to be on a forward-looking basis, and obviously what knock-on impact that has onto uh, corporate investment into the near future, you know, because increased uncertainty means corporates invest less. Um, Unfortunately, 2017 is not getting any easier from that political risk point of view. Uh, We see three major European uh, uh, economies going to elections in the next 12 months. That's uh, France, Germany, and and the Netherlands. And, uh, you know, if this right, the rise of right-wing nationalism really uh, starts to gain traction throughout Europe, you know, it could fundamentally uh, challenge the, the, the stability of the euro region in general, and we could see a, a move towards a breaking up of the euro area, which the markets will obviously react quite negatively towards. So, Sakina, obviously an event which we need to keep an eye on, um, but if it's any consolation, markets have come to accept expect some of these uh, uh, black swan outlying uh, election results, and that's why it didn't react very negatively to the Italian referendum, Uh, but I think a general election is a completely different story, and uh, we've got to hope that it's not going to spring up any more surprises or the fundamental breakup of the euro, or markets will react quite negatively towards that, and we obviously know that emerging markets, uh, you know, ultimately bear the biggest brunt of these kind of risk-off scenarios. Well, we're going to leave it there for this morning. Thank you so much, Nadir Chokin, Investment Analyst at 27 for Investment Managers.